So, just to set the scene for this week's episode of the Blarney Pilgrims, um, we were invited up to Dean's Marsh by Judy Elenikoff of Quasitrad in Melbourne, which is um, they're a, a, an organisation that kind of further Celtic music and Quebecois music um, through workshops and lots of different things. And they had a, a fantastic tunes camp, which is uh, just finished. And the two lead tutors there were Kate Burke and... Liz Carroll, the amazing Chicago-born uh, fiddle player, and she is today's guest. We managed to sequester her into <laughs> into a kitchen and rearrange the furniture, and she agreed to talk to us, and it was fantastic. just want to set the scene for this camp just to describe how incredible it is. So set in the, I suppose it's the back of the Otway Ranges, it's then a place called Dean's March, which is in the kind of hinterland on the west coast of Victoria. And this is an area where there's just extreme rolling green hills. And as I said, it's at the back of this hinterland, so you have the, a hint of rainforest in the background in an incredible setting. And there was four or five co- um, little cabins set up this hill with trees reaching over them. And as the sun sets way off in the west across these, I mean, huge rolling green hills, the the chef that they had brought in for the weekend served up one of the most incredible meals that we've ever had. So then to leave that, to walk a short distance down this little lane into a little cabin to set up, and that's where we sat down with Liz. So it was an absolute treat to be there. So thanks to Judy for the invite. It was an absolute incredible experience. For anyone else that's interested, check out their website. Um, the camp is finished for this year, except if you're listening to this as soon as the episode comes out, there is one more show which is on tomorrow night which is a thursday and it's on in the abbotsford convent in melbourne so you'll see liz and kate there as well if you if you're quick enough there are tickets there so there'll be a link to where you can get tickets in the show notes that's thursday the 7th of november <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah not for anyone listening yeah in december yeah um excessively rolling hills i would say they I were was, aggressively it was it was Unnecessarily, yeah. yeah. But it had been a, it had had been a week of torrential rain. So actually, no, it hadn't. It had been a, a, two days of thirty-four degree oppressive heat to then have two days of torrential rain, and then luckily on Sunday night the skies cleared and we were treated to an incredible sunset. Lush. Oh, enough gushing. All right. On the subject of gushing, I'm going to do my weekly uh, begging. <laughs> so this is, uh, first of all, I want to say a huge thank you to those who have continued to go over to Patreon and become uh, subscribers. Look, it really does. It means heaps that you're putting your hand in your pocket. It really is the thing that's that's keeping this thing going, and it's the thing that will continue to keep this beast rolling along. Um, for anyone else that doesn't know what it is, or it, maybe needs a, a bit of encouragement to actually go over there. Patreon is a website which allows people to donate or to put their hand in their pocket, chip in, we're asking for $2 an episode. That $2 goes a huge way in in the production of this podcast. So without that that contribution, we it's really hard for us to do it. I don't know if we, even we could do it. So anyway, with that in mind, if you could go over to patreon.com forward slash Pilgrims you'll be able to put forward $2 an episode and we'll be eternally grateful. Uh, and as I said, thank you so much to everyone else that's done that already. Look, if you can't go do that, that's fine. Not everyone has the uh, disposable income. Maybe you could just tell a friend that would just help us as much. So with that said, I think we've done all the housekeeping for today, have we? Uh, I think so, yeah. All right, let's do it. Mm-hmm.
trying to think of what would be nice now if I was turning on a podcast. What would be nice to hear? Do you mind me tapping? Not at all. This is okay. Well, it's not too crazy. Tapping, so oh yeah. We're <laughs> gonna play an oldie then. Yeah. Liz Carl, welcome to the Blarney Pilgrims podcast. Thank you very much. What was that that you just played? You know, I just picked an oldie. Somebody had uh, mentioned this tune uh, this week, and it's a tune that I wrote some many years ago, and uh, it's called the Diplodocus. It's a chick. And where did, where does that name come from, the Diplodocus? You know, I had uh, my son uh, when he was young. Uh, was very into dinosaurs. He was very into dinosaurs, uh, the names of them, you know, so he just loved saying the names and he loved knowing the names. So I had actually started a tune um, pre that period. And, uh, you know, with kids, uh, boy, yeah, it just can take your head away from you. So I had started a tune, two parts of a tune, and I didn't think that it was finished. But I couldn't think anymore, not with with two kids in the house. Yeah. So so Patrick and Allison. But then uh, maybe when Patrick was around three, he uh, he started getting into dinosaurs. And also I felt like I had a little bit of time, and I rethought about that tune and came up with the third part. And our favorite, at least to say, was Diplodocus. At the time, um, there were no well the book that we had had no pronunciations. And so we were we were taking a shot at that. <laughs> so called it the Diplodocus. But then I did get a dinosaur book sometime afterwards, and people told me that it's really Diplodocus. And I always go, I would never have called a tune <laughs> <laughs> the Diplodocus. What kind of a name is that? But Diplodocus sounded so funny uh-huh. and fun. Yeah, yeah. I thought. So uh, with that tune, um, when you're composing it, how do you know when it's finished? Well, that one was interesting. You know, there's there's two parts, and it just was not done. Let me think about that. I mean, it could have ended, right? 
it could have ended. But um, yeah, I, uh, I couldn't tell you how you how you know. You just do. Mm-hmm. You just go. There's there's some other place that this needs to go to. Yeah. So how long had you been? You know, what in your list of tunes that you've composed, like what number was that approximately? Ah, uh, that's a good question. You've been I actually from... don't know because I was doing them. I was doing little tunes always when I was young. At some point, I started writing them down. Once I got the tools to be able to write something down, and uh, and yeah, I would have written a good few tunes, you know, like in my teens, in my twenties. Uh, I think I had my son when I was thirty. So yeah, it's 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 somewhere in the middle. I don't go crazy with writing tunes, but um, yeah, I just as they occur to me. I've always done them. So maybe would it be in the middle of around, maybe somewhere around 60? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And is, is there a, is there a <laughs> pattern? That? Is there a pattern for like the, like um, when I was a kid, I remember my, one of my brothers was really into, <laughs> into John Denver. And uh, so he yeah. used to have these John Denver albums. And then one of these John Denver albums, um, John Denver always talked about, all of a sudden a song came floating by. Right, and that was kind of his his way of describing. I love the, I love the like idea of that. that, and I think for a lot of composers of, of melodies and songs, those things do happen. I'd, I'd say there's probably a bit of you know, there's probably a bit of sweat in getting the exact notes that you love. But mm-hmm. I do like that idea. There was a there was, I think there was a film some years ago. There was a or there was something called like the song catcher, or the or the and people talk about there being like a tune a tune catcher, mm-hmm. and Indeed, I'll tell you what though. Even if even if it doesn't occur to you all the whole way, a la John Denver there uh, for some of his songs, <laughs> and even if you do a bit of work into it, when you have it done and you kind of go, you know what, this is good. You really do feel like that that had nothing to do with me. It can't, you know, really? that it was actually that there was something really great that happened there. Yeah. Do you have yeah. that thing that a lot of artists say that? The their favorite, often their favorite tunes or their favorite songs are the ones that came easiest. That just yeah. kind of a, that they just came out on right. naturally, and you right. had to put, so with yeah. the dip, diplodocus was that it? Well, obviously you, right. the that first was rare. Was, that was rare to have something that just sat for that long, you know. So usually a tune would be in one sitting. Mm. It's like you just sit down and I'm not walking away until that little tune is finished, and. Uh, and thank God, I'm not too critical. I like them all. Somebody yeah. was saying to me recently, like, do you have a bin? Like a bunch of tunes that were bad ones. And I go, oh, no, I don't feel like that about any of them. And I think they think I'm, yep, what? But I actually don't ever finish a tune and not go, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, I don't know if, it, and I haven't abandoned too many. So, mm-hmm. yeah, mostly. Yeah. I think uh, there's, something ha- y- there's something happy about the finish that's interesting because you mentioned um jack yates today when you were playing this afternoon mm-hmm, we were mm-hmm. at that concert this afternoon you mentioned jack yates and i think it was wb yates who used to talk about um i mean he was always revising his poems and he i think he sort of said something about um you you never really finish it you just stop working on it mm. um, but clearly right. you have a sense of like this one's done um, right yeah. right yeah 
That's interesting. Yeah, the, the, the folks that were um, doing that project that was just about, like, they were just kind of trying to come up with a template for uh, students, uh, in this case at Notre Dame's Irish Studies program, to, to be able to respond to paintings and uh, to use what tools they had, music, painting itself, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so I was, I was talking to a friend of mine, Marty Fahey, and he was saying that, uh, so not only did W.B. Yeats do that, uh, but also Jack Yeats' paintings remained unfinished for a good while. And, and there was also, well, at least this is what I've heard. And then also, uh, I see you squinting. Um, but if you no, go, that's just, that's you might know my, more than I that's do. That's just because of my eyesight. That's but the idea that, you know, that he would be out, let's say, and see something or he would do sketches of things, but eventually they would find their way into paintings. But it might, in his case, not be right there. That's mm-hmm. the painting. You know, things would happen afterwards. And it was funny because there was a, a, a Manet uh, exhibit just recently in Chicago. And almost every one of, you know how you have the card next to the painting? Mm-hmm. And almost every one of them was saying, yeah. And then he did the background later, you know. So, yeah. That's such a brave thing to do, isn't it? I just Any kind of creative work that I do. And I work as a creative professionally in advertising, but it's still... Right. I, I use it. There's definitely a point when it gets, when you've done so much work and you, you start getting precious, even with yourself, around changing the idea. There is a, well, I find with me anyway, I tip, there's a tipping point. And once I go past it, I... I'm really anxious or afraid to to mess with the correct with, with that whatever the creative is. Mm-hmm. I wonder how that would work with the in the musical sense because you're kind of you're building the bones. That's I'm sure it's the same thing. You, you obviously yeah. don't. Do you know? Do you have that at all? You, you, you're not well, precious. You can, well, okay. I'm, I'm calling you, myself. Is the word is the word you're using precious? Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to. <laughs> pick but you word. do care, yeah, and you yeah you don't want to um, you don't want to ruin it. Maybe is that what you mean by precious? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I get that. And I get the negative yeah. connotation with precious. Like I'm, I'm using it because I, <laughs> I, I, I feel it is a negative thing to be when it comes to your ideas. Yeah. No, I don't think it is. No, mm. I think that's a nice word. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, you just, uh, yeah, you care. You mm. care. Yeah. So, so, so where was where's your initial exposure to to Irish music? I mean, just so for the benefit well, of people who don't aren't familiar with your work, yeah. <laughs> Well, I, you know, my parents uh, came from Ireland. Uh, my dad uh, is from County Offaly, uh, right outside of Tullamore. And then my mom is from Limerick, West Limerick. And um, so they met in Chicago. And uh, my mom will always kind of say that she she kind of liked my dad, in addition to everything else, <laughs> that he was an accordion player, that he was a musician, that he was an Irish musician, because her father was a fiddle player. And so they, they had the, that music in common that they liked it. So they met and, uh, you know, they would go to hear Irish music. And, and when we were old enough, which didn't have to be too old, they would take us to, you know, whatever pub had some music going on and, and, and uh, we'd sit in and where, hear where it. Where were the, like, what were the pubs that you were going to? And... Oh, we, they were just uh, for the early part. Um, yeah, probably from about four or five until oh, I think this one pub closed uh, maybe around the time we were, I want to say around 15 or so. But there was a great place called Hanley's House of Happiness. Mm-hmm. Good name. Just a great name. And 
they were very nice and there was lots of sessions in mm-hmm. there and so when musicians would come out from Ireland they would end up you know in that place uh, having you know tunes so like let's say with the the Tala Kayla band came out in 1959 or whatever they would go to that pub and when they came back again another year you know so they'd go there and uh, so my folks liked it because of that but there was also a you'll like this there was a radio program on um, Sunday nights so a great one one of these ones where the, the guy was very um, Tom McNamara was the announcer and he was American, but he really had all the time in the world. Like all, he really got on what all the Irish, and it was a very great sense of humor. And uh, so you'd have Tom McNamara, and you'd have about three or four Irish musicians, and you'd have a singer, if not two, and then you'd have a dancing school. So it was a great show. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. didn't cost anything. Was that public to radio it. or was it? No, no, no. Yeah. It was oh, probably some small. Some There's so small, many small sort of stations in, stations. in cities and, yeah. Yeah, and counties. You and know, stuff, like yeah. the kind of station where yeah. you'd have the Irish hour followed by the Polish hour yeah, followed yeah. by the Lithuanian hour, you yeah. know, yep. and they'd all kind of do a European thing or something one day, and then it might be mostly Hispanic, Spanish yeah. the next day. And and were there were there times, uh, I mean, when you think back to being a, being a child, was there a time when you began noticing this and thinking... I quite like this or was it just in your was it just so in your blood that you were it's it's like yeah I, I, I have I know toast for I liked breakfast. it I know I liked it um always probably yeah. my uh my parents used to describe that uh, you know I'd be in my uh I'd be in my high chair tapping away to Elvis you know and they thought hmm she has good rhythm yeah. <laughs> so at least I was tapping in time and I was attracted to I bet a lot of musicians have this, you know, like you could go to a store, athletes will, you know, will look at balls and things like this. And some people will look at games, like see a chessboard and just go, what's that about? And uh, if I saw any kind of a toy instrument, I was headed for that, especially if it was shiny, (laughs) shiny little harmonica, shiny Mm -hmm. little whistle type of things. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, at one Christmas, um, they gave me a little toy accordion. A little, my dad played a button accordion, but it was a, a piano accordion. Uh, maybe Coleco brand or something like that. And loved, loved, loved it. And, you know, tried to find little tunes. And, yeah, pretty quickly left the, um, you know, there'd be like a, a number sheet that came with the toy telling you where to put your fingers. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, I'd be trying to find little tunes oh, on it right away. Yeah. So um, one day, uh, my brother accidentally stepped on that accordion. And in the midst of sobbing out in the hallway of our apartment upstairs now on the south side um, of Chicago, uh, my dad walked by and just put his accordion on my lap. And I don't know why I hadn't thought about it, but I went, oh, great, great. So... So I was playing the accordion for a good while, and um, thanks to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, what yeah. about your mom? Was she? Did she play or sing? Or she did not. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. She, um, yeah. But that's you know. But she liked the music, and she was more than happy to be hearing it. And uh, and 
if if she got really enthused, you know, she'd get the comb out and <laughs> yes. put the paper on the yeah, comb and I, start joining. Yeah. In. Yeah. Were they were they happy in Chicago? <laughs> was it was Chicago a good place for them in terms of work or? For what kind of work now? For well, um, for for your for your parents, for your mom and for your mom and dad. Was yeah, it? yeah. I think uh, I think they did okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, my when my dad came out, he had had brothers who had come out ahead of him, so they helped him get work. I think carpentry mm-hmm. uh, when he came out. Right. When my mom came, uh, she came to her father's uh, brother, and um, they didn't think that she would have any capabilities. Um, I think she, you know, she had graduated secondary school, but they were like, this is America. And they encouraged her. And what she did first was she, she went to a home in a Western suburb and lived with a family and helped them out with their daughter and kept house and things like yeah. that. But she was always pretty good. And she was good at, uh, at math, at maths, as they would say it. <laughs> over there and um so at some point she just got a little bit of gumption she just uh, and so, so, so her path was like um minding a child and helping a, a family then she worked as a cook in a rectory and uh and then she went to being a cashier uh at a restaurant known in chicago uh stouffer's restaurant uh, stouffer's also used to be one of the first ones that had like your free your frozen meals yeah yeah uh, them, Bird's Eye, uh, some of these brands uh, back home. But um, yeah, and then she said that she had met somebody one time at work and who was coming from another job. And she said, what's your other job? She said, I work at the Harris Bank. So mom went over and she got herself a job at the Harris. <coughs> and she's, um, like I say, she's good at figures. Uh, but indeed, she's there at the Harris Bank and all her figures are in Irish. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> which I really love. So she didn't come from a Gaelic speaking area, but she did her math in Irish. So yeah, so it was fun. Yeah. 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 So um, should we have about a it? chin? Um, and I, what I'm wondering about is um, yeah. like an like an early chin that, that might have, uh, if there's a chin that you can kind of think of from that period. Ooh. That... Um, well, let's see. I might go back, even though I played a, I played you a jig once. Um, this would have been, I think this would be one that I could say that I, I um, would have made up like on the accordion. So, um, and I can't remember the name of it. And will I play it any good at all? But let me just think. It's the first thing that occurred to me as soon as you said that. But it goes like this. Thank you. 
Interesting, right? <laughs> right. So uh, I took it at a gentle pace there. <laughs> it sounded pretty. It sounded pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And it was a little interesting tune. Yeah, I never recorded that or did anything with it, but it's just I've always kind of known that was a pretty early tune. Do you have a few others of those tunes that are sort of um, sequestered in your head? That they're like I'm. It's like I have a like a, a head like a sieve these days, so it's not easy. <laughs> were, were you exposed to any other kinds of music? When I mean, like it's just, it's a really big music wasn't. city. It's so it's funny, you know. Uh, well, my my brother was a lot had a lot more cop on than I did. I was really single-minded. I was like thinking tunes and Irish dancing. Right. And he would have, you know, he'd have the latest little 45s and then albums and all of this. So he was really hip and I absolutely had no clue. Um, so, you know, I just merrily went along with all these musicians and tunes in my head and yeah, Irish dancing buddies and... Yeah. So then, what? Happy. What? Paint me the picture then of how you fell into that lifestyle. What? So you you you're young, and then you've gone right. from the accordion to the fiddle. So right. you're, you're taking classes at this stage, and then yeah, is that your friend group is starting to come out from the Irish? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, we had the relatives, you see, so there was a lot of them. Right. Yeah, and um, they didn't live that far away. We had some relatives, the Lynches that lived just a block away, and there were six of them cousins. And um, yeah, a lot, a lot of Irish uh, early on in that neighborhood uh, as well, but relatives. And yeah, so it was easy to um, go and do Irish dancing. It was easy to go to a family party and play a few tunes at it and have singing and a few people dancing. And uh, yeah, boy. It was just uh, kind of continuous. I always kind of kind of feel like too, as time went on, it's like then, um, you know, our friends. Then we went to pubs. We dated Irish people. We, you know, we went to Ireland. Yeah, yeah you could really swirl in that. And I wasn't running into other kinds of music until a good bit later on, maybe uh, late teens, and uh, going to a folk festival here and there going to several different kinds of folk festivals, old hearing old-time music, uh, going to some of the pubs and going to the blues bars. Yeah. Yeah, yeah which was just a stunner. Yeah, blues in name only. It was the cheeriest thing ever, <laughs> you know? Just exciting, cheery, wonderful. Yeah. So, yeah. But, oh, was, um, it, and it, was your brother in the same crowd or did that no, music kind no, of come really from didn't. being he, mixed in with other people oh, he, he avoided it like the plague yeah wow <laughs> it wasn't really his thing but i mean oh, yeah, did he, he was exposed back? to it he was there he was there and he has come back to it yeah, yeah uh, you can see why i'm interested in that angle <laughs> he, he it's so funny because yeah we you know um i think he looked at me and i just being such a disorganized person myself he was like liz I could help out and I was like please do and we started just kind of making a bit of a plan I don't I don't even know if we ever just went to plan but it's like if I if I dreamt it at all it's like okay well maybe maybe make an album and maybe it could be this and he's like go ahead yeah. <laughs> so just really supportive and on we went and then he'd be calling me and say Liz have you ever heard such a one sing this song? Like if you heard the guy from, what's the fella from the Dubliners? 
Luke singing Kelly? to yes Luke Kelly he says Liz have you ever heard Luke Kelly and I'm like yeah that's so <laughs> that's so far back for me Tom yeah. uh, you know but then it was the same with me then I'd be going oh. well in fact I my husband gets uh, gets exposed to this too I was at um, the library and I picked up Joni Mitchell's Blue yeah and you know and I just had it on in the car and I was like Charles I said, I'm just really loving blue. And he's like, Liz, so Nearly 40 years. That's so long 40 years ago. Ago. Stop it. I said, I can't stop playing it. It's just yeah. so brilliant. He said, stop it. Yeah. So it, there's a lot swirling around there. I, 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 don't, think, <laughs> I don't think it was a, an awful childhood. I mean, I really love everything I did. I'm, I'm really glad that I was that steeped in it. But I have a lot more time for other music now at that time and who knows maybe i needed to be that single-minded who mm. knows did but you, did you did, when did you think that you were going to be able to make a living at it i mean was that's a that's an interesting one i mean there was uh there was nobody really doing it as far as we knew like uh, so we're coming along and let's say it's the 70s and about the time that I got into college and I took a course there in like social psychology, did no good. <laughs> <laughs> Just the name did no good. And uh, I came out of that um, and then like, it. so when I went to college at all, it never occurred to me to take music because I couldn't conceive of this background in Irish music having anything to do with real music, like mm. classical music. And yeah, I hate that I didn't do that. I think I probably would have survived just fine. In fact, would have learned a lot and would have, you know, yeah. would have really enjoyed it. But it didn't occur to me. And it didn't occur to us that, um, and this is me and my uh, friends that were playing accordion and whistles and flutes, uh, it didn't occur to us that you could do Irish music as a living just looking at the musicians in Chicago. So, you know, the accordion player is a construction worker. The fiddle player works for the gas company. Uh, you know, so everybody had families and everybody had jobs. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I conceived of this, that I'd need a job. Mm-hmm. And uh, I came out finally with a teaching degree and... Uh, so my my nice story is that I was teaching a bit of fiddle and loved going off and playing for my dance in school and any dancing school that would like it. There was feshes as well, and I'd go and get to go out to Detroit, Toronto, you know, and find these other musicians and just hunker down with the musicians in other towns, most of them from Ireland. And, um, and then along the way... I I was in the first year of doing my school teaching, which was a year from hell. Yeah. Uh, but I was coming to the very end of, like I was in into May, so the school is going to be letting out. And I got a call from Mick Maloney, who's a great musician, ethnomusicologist, Philadelphia. And uh, he had gotten a bunch of us to play at the U.S.'s Bicentennial Festival. So this was a festival that took place on the mall, like over by the uh, over by the White House and um, right in the middle there, the Lincoln Memorial and all. And it was a six week long festival in the summer of 76. And so uh, he 
I, and I had gone and done a couple of tours with him as well with a group called the Greenfields of America. I don't know if you ever heard of that over here. Um, but we had um, uh, a great uh, accordion player, uh, Sean McGlynn uh, from Galway on the, the accordion. And uh, I was playing fiddle. And there were the Coens from, also from Galway, from Woodford, um, playing flute and concertina. We had a piper from New York City, Bill Ox, and Michael Flatley dancing and playing the flute. And so off we went. We had done something in 78 and 70, 77, 78. Now I'm teaching. And then Mick got in touch and said, Liz, there's a six-week tour of West Africa, State Department. Would you want to do it? It's in September. And so I just went, you know what? I'm going to make music what I do. But still, we had only kind of known that the chieftains made a living doing music. Mm -hmm. And other than them, it seemed like the only thing to do was to play in a pub. Yeah. And I knew I didn't want to do that. Yeah, but I like the idea of the chieftains. <laughs> but you were, but clearly you're already playing at a really like a, at a super high level at this. It's point, a really so. nice level, wasn't it? I I I feel lucky that um, Mick for one reached out as far as Chicago because there was plenty of music on the East Coast, Philly, New York, Boston. Mm -hmm. What was he? What was so he far. looking for from you? Do you think as a player, like what was he seeing in you that maybe he wasn't? I don't know. You know, I had um, I had competed in Ireland, and uh, and I had uh, I had won the senior fiddle, and so maybe maybe he had looked at what was around, and without really ever hearing me, just went, "We need to spread this around. It can't mm -hmm. just be the East Coast." Mm -hmm. uh, but so, but but after playing with him on those couple of tours as well, and I don't know why he picked me for those tours. Not sure, but I loved to play. Yeah, I think I was good. Yeah, even yeah, younger. Uh, when and this is a few like maybe is this three or four years after you were competing? Is that is that about right? Yeah. Yeah. How did you approach competing? How did that come about for you? So you talking about competing in Ireland in the. In well. The, you know, it's a, it's a, it's in the fly, right? In the, was that, is that what there it? was, there were some coldest tours that were coming through Chicago. Okay. And there was one year that, um, one of the first years, there was a great accordion player named Patty Gavin, and he was from Balbriggan, just north there of Dublin. And uh, he came back to Chicago and worked for a summer. And so he was playing terrific music at the, the pub right after Hanley's was called Hoban's. So he was playing at Hoban's Pub. And uh, it was him that said that there was a thing called a Flack Hill. We didn't know. Uh, I think I had competed in one, uh, like a Flack Hill, when I was a kid. Yeah. And uh, I, I got first, and I was the only one in it. Very proud. <laughs> I still, still have, take it. I still have the trophy. Yeah. Yes, very proud. Very a proud. win's a win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then he said, you know, that this existed. Maybe, maybe he had chatted with my folks as well. You know, any excuse to go home was kind of nice for them. But he thought that I would do good if I went. And said, you know, just get a couple of tunes together. So now you have to kind of qualify in the States to go. But at the time, you know, it was so out there for somebody to come all the way from the States. Yeah. yeah. 
remember years ago, by the way, that there was a guy that came from Australia that was a fiddle player. And that was a big deal. Like people couldn't believe he came from Australia. He also competed. I don't think he had to qualify. There was just like, welcome. Wow. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I, wonder that was. So, I wonder, he had blonde hair is what I remember about him, which was uh, unusual. Too. That's the Australian. Uh, <laughs> Every Australian. <laughs> he was playing on his surfboard, wasn't he? <laughs> Stereotypes. Yeah. What, what, what was that like as an experience for you? Was it, I was it daunting in it. any way? I hated it. And it was daunting. It was both. It was daunting, hated it, hated it, daunting. But here's what I did like. Uh-huh. I loved the sessions. Oh, my God. This was heaven. So the first place we went to was Listowel in Kerry. And uh, it's just every every corner, every spot, there was tunes, you know. Um, and if you could squeeze in, you could actually get a chair and sit in a pub as well. But it was amazing. Loved it. And... Uh, Competing is scary. I don't know. Some people are very calm when they get in that situation. Not I. It's just nerve-wracking. I probably would be playing every second until I was. It was time to play. And a lot of them, you know, would go into the room and just sit there with the fiddle in their lap and listen to ten people play and then get up and play brilliantly. I was like, my God. So I'd be, I'd be. Tell me when they're calling me, (laughs) and I'd be out. Plucking away at it until it was time. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you remember so was, what? Do you remember what anything that you played then? I do. Uh, oh, or do I? I might have played. Um, um, hmm. I might have, I, but it doesn't make any sense to me that I would have played Farrell O'Gara. I wonder, could I have played that for my reel? Doesn't make any sense. Uh, did you have much, to play like a real? A, did you have to play like a? What I had to play was of, three tunes. Yeah. Right. Because I was already sixteen. Yeah. So I was in the uh, sixteen to eighteen competition, and um, yeah. So you had to play three tunes. So usually, usually, unless you were just a fabulous air player, uh, that would have been way too nerve wracking. Um, so I would be playing like a jig and a reel and a hornpipe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't remember what I played um, for the. Uh, let me see if I can grab my fiddle here. Um, why am I not? Yeah, I don't think I played Farrell So what I would would play for you is the next year. So I went three years in a row. So I was in the junior for two years. So I got second my first year. Frankie Gavin got first, and uh, that guy. I went, that yeah. guy. You know what's funny too is that. Um, I was, when we got done, uh, that my mom's family, of course, in West Limerick was the closest to go back to. So once we finished up the fly and uh, were back in Limerick, uh, I had an Uncle Tom there, my mom's brother. And uh, he loved to get the conversation going about the fly and, and whatever. But his way of getting the conversation going is he'd be like milking a cow. And next thing he'd, and I'd be standing there kind of watching what was going on and chatting with him. Or not, and then after a few minutes, next thing you go, Frankie Gavin. <laughs> it was like, you know, he was having fun with yeah. me, and I'd be like, oh, God. But but he was fabulous. He was great, and I didn't know what I was doing. And um, well, you um, say that you came second. I, I mean, say, come on, like I know it was actually 16. kind of it was kind of amazing to me that uh, that they saw anything in my playing there because I was so. 
I had been so advised, don't play too fast, that I, uh, I really played slowly. And so I was like, well, that's really good that the judge saw anything in that playing at all because I was so trying to not step on the gas, yeah. lose control, you know. So I was just really holding back and I played slowly, but I stuck with it, whatever the pace I started with, I stayed with it. Um, the next year that I went, uh, I know what reel I played, so it was this. Um, I th I'm sure I should know the name of it, but everybody will know this tune. It's a great tune. Great tune, right? Fantastic. Uh, you've heard that one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm familiar it's with a great it, but one. There, but I don't know. You the don't name know of the name of it, would you? I, I don't know the name of it, but I'm I'm also just um, I'm a novice. <laughs> you know, I, um, it's one of the it's one of the great ones. Yeah, yeah that's a great tune. Um, I have a bit of a strange question. Yeah, I, I'm not sure how I'm even going to put this. In the last few weeks, I've become a little bit obsessive with players and how they keep time with their feet and tapping. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And this week particularly, because uh, Martin Hayes is where I, he's, who I've particularly been looking oh, yeah. at. I love the timbre of his of his foot, but yes. also how he yeah. holds himself and how he taps. And then I was watching you today, and you, you're one of a few people I've seen, but using two feet. And I was a where where does that come from? Is that something that you were was kind of natural, or you were taught how to do? And B, from all I can see is that. Whatever you're tapping, it seems to be the same for a jig and for a reel. And I can't mm -hmm. for the life of me get my head to make sense of that. Yes. <laughs> does that, I mean, that make sense? Sure it does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they are different timings, though. So it's not the same timing. So I suppose if I was tapping to a, a reel, there's, it's a little bit more that it's going a one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. But and you have a heel a, and a toe. And a jig, going. and a jig is like a dum, ba, 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 dum. Oh, I wish I could see that. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, the I funny know thing you, is, uh, you I know. can count it. I was watching your feet and I was counting the jig and I was counting yes. a reel. Right. But then I was. Yeah on purpose when you're playing a real counting right and i could do it but i'm not easily. doing i'm not doing a four over a six so so yeah, yeah it is not the same yeah so what did you did, yeah did, is that something that 
I, I, you know, I, I, I did do Irish dancing, so I really love the rhythm of, of all of this. And uh, but I, I always liked tapping. And I always, but I always kind of looked at what people were doing. So there's a very funny thing. Um, I don't know if people talk about it too much, but you know, you try people on for size. You try, you try their music on, and it, and this it all kind of has to do with kind of wanting to grow, mm-hmm. and you want to. You want to really try to get their notes and and to get their style, and you want to see, you know, are they clipping that note there? Does it does it sing out at the end? Does it stop, you know, with the bow? And um, and you're 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 trying their ornaments out, and you're trying to get what you're hearing. Uh, but when you see people, you're if I really like a player, I I will also try on their body. Yeah. You know, and I I just very naturally did it. But I, I this is me looking back that I think I've always done it. So if you saw somebody playing and let's say they just had uh, and it was just their right foot and they just just played with the right heel so that when they're playing tune, they're they're just tapping that. And then you'd look around and then there might be somebody that's just there this. And then some of them are. And then. Martin is definitely, which is very nice, also does a very rhythmic thing in his playing. So, you know, so you could, you could have um, tunes. I could demonstrate this. Surely there's a way to do this for your podcast (laughs) where you're, if you have like a a tune, uh, like I would describe to people, if you're going to play a little phrase of a tune, and let's say the tune is a very old one, let's say like the Sally Gardens. So, and if you have... we would have been playing with a heavy beat first and then a soft one heavy soft heavy soft so when you sat in a session you would do right and you know I won't be able to do Martin but when you do have a, a tap that goes like that very subtly I'm giving a little bit of emphasis the whole way and I got so, goosebumps because do does we, that make sense yes because yeah. we, uh, we had a chat with um, with John Carthy and I was asking him about regional yeah. styles right and he referred to it as an accent yes and I got it in inverted commas I got it yeah. but I still wasn't able to hear it. and I think that's right now is the first time I can start seeing an avenue to Hearing that kind of thing, that's right? Really right. interesting. Want- well, sometimes it's you, your body actually can help you with the pace pacing that you want to do. Mm-hmm. It, it adds a um, a visual intensity. Like watching you play today, if I, if I couldn't see you, what I'm hearing, yeah, feels different. But because I'm watching you, there's an intensity there. Like particularly the first tune you played tonight, towards the end, right. watching you play, I could it, when it shifted. Maybe it was that third part. Yeah, it physically looked like it was shifting as well. I get something from that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's Thank nice. you for that. That's yeah. great to be able to yeah. be shown to Well, you, I've, you know, I, I, I've ended up, uh, if I had known that you were watching, I, I would have had fun with you because I, I, I will often, <laughs> <laughs> I'll look down and, I, you know, well, this one was definitely a look down. We were up on a little yeah. stage there. But like, 
if I see somebody that starts to kind of clue into my feet, so I'm looking, the next thing I see them kind of do this, then, you know, there's all kinds. I, I will cross my legs in time. I'll just kind of wave my feet. Next thing, the heel just is going, and I'll take my feet, and I'll just put them behind me and not move, and then just, you know, start doing both yeah. both heels, both feet, and I'll keep switching and even just suspend things like this. I'm so it's me having fun, but yeah. if I see somebody... Uh, <laughs> actually, I shouldn't give this away, no. but it is, it is, and it takes me out... It, it gives me a sense of fun for my own self as yeah. I'm going along and takes my nerves away. If I see, yeah, if I had seen you, Darren, I would have been, I would immediately, I would immediately start doing something no, to you. I was watching, all right. <laughs> I, I love the fact, so I'm interested, but you mentioned, you know, uh, if we were playing this in Chicago, were you conscious of a, of a, of a style that you were exposed to in Chicago? I was, definitely, I definitely feel like that the music was in that pocket, you know, uh, like a lot of music these days, and I like it a lot too. Like I, I did an album one time that was just called On the Offbeat. It's because I realized with my own playing is that I'm not really like a heavy, soft, heavy, soft. Um, I'm more I'm more these days, I'm like, well, not that soft, but it's almost like as if you go soft, soft, heavy, soft, 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 heavy, soft, so that you're, you're you're coming in almost with the third beat rather than the first beat, mm -hmm. so yeah. And, and it's uh, it, I I I'm really enjoying that style. I suppose if I was going to do it the same tune we were doing, you can kind of think of it as well. Well, maybe yeah. I maybe it's like if you counted to one, two, three, four. Think of it that way instead. That I would be pushing the three. Hmm. So it would be. And a lot of the older gang would have been So if you walk along, let's say at that old fla, you'd you'd want to kind of clue in to where are they at? Is it a heavy beat the whole way through? Are they doing a heavy beat, a soft beat? Is it an offbeat kind of a session? And then you would chime in, you know, it's because you don't want to ruin it. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you sort out what you're hearing and then you join it. So useful. But that's, that's, that's yeah. some, but that's yeah. some, um, some amazing listening on your part, right? So like, the, did I say I was obsessed? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't say it. <laughs> But the other thing, too, is that it really does make a difference. It's, it's not as good a session if it's rocky, if you're not, if you don't clue into what's, what's going on in each place that you go to. Mm -hmm. You're not, you're not really adding anything. You're, you're, you're a disturbance. Mm -hmm. But, but, but what I was wondering about was, that, was, were there particular, was there a particular Chicago style? And was that was that a particular Chicago style, or were you just saying in Chicago because that's where you were? I'm, yeah, may, yeah. I'm, I don't know that it was a particular right. Chicago style. I think everybody around those early years when I was playing pretty much had that style. I know I said mm. Chicago, but maybe most everybody had it. I mean, yeah. there, do these things go in fashion as well? Does it go with you know if if a particular player becomes very prominent? Oh, absolutely. That they have, a, they have a big influence on their people. I think it's always following the players rather than, I know there's a lot of talk about regional, but didn't didn't they become that region because they loved a great player? 
and they all wanted to play like that one. So I always kind of feel like, uh, yeah, that people in New York wanted to sound like Andy McGann. Hmm. And people that listened to Michael Coleman records wanted to sound like Michael Coleman wherever they lived. And, you know, and it's the kind of the same everywhere. Mm-hmm. Once once you have a, a really nice player come out and inf- influential enough that people want to sound like that. You were just talking about Martin Hayes. So if you want to sound like that, which a lot of people do, you know, yeah, it's 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 if he was in a region, <laughs> it would be called a regional style. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, I wanted to ask you something before we have another tune, if I could, hmm. which was um, about... Um, the um, I've completely forgotten what I was going to say there. <laughs> I'm sorry. This happens to me occasionally where okay. my mind goes completely blank. Um, what was I going to ask? Was you? it related to the anything that we were just speaking about? We we're talking about Chicago style. Talking about oh yes. So speaking of Chicago, before we have another tune, um, yeah. I wanted to kind of get an idea of like. Who were the the players then that that really influenced you? Because I, I think we had a couple of names, but I just I love kind of hearing the names of people. Often people who I don't know, but I think it's really important to kind of to say remember it. who they are. You know? <laughs> well, I I uh, had Johnny McGreevy in Chicago, who was a you know you could look around at people playing and you just knew that Johnny was the best fiddler there. Beautiful style. Uh, I'd say he would say himself that it would have been a Sligo style. He loved the old those old um, James Morrison Michael Coleman Patty Cloran records and um, and most people he ran into kind of had a Sligo style uh, so I definitely watched him uh, I loved Sean McGuire uh, this would have been a fiddle player from Belfast that would have been making albums that you'd get you know so yeah. if my parents would go to the uh, to the Irish store you know they might get a uh, a record by Sean McGuire. So, uh, and my dancing school also played a lot of Sean McGuire. And, uh, very flashy. I was going to ask you about that style. Bright player. Right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I liked I liked a, a fellow named Seamus Connolly as well, which people would know. Mm-hmm. Um, just, and sometimes it's literally from one moment. I remember just sitting on a plane. And there was a track of uh, Seamus Connolly uh, in the the listening, you know, uh, radio on the plane. And uh, he played some tune, and I think I liked it so much for a start because he played a a part that I didn't know to a tune. And then I was like, oh, it's really nice. And very soon after that, he came out with an album with Patty O'Brien, the great accordion player, a little EP, just a few tracks on each side, not a full, full on LP, gorgeous music gorgeous so I always liked him mm-hmm. after that and yeah. and and what what were the um the main session pubs in Chicago well that that Hobans now that I was talking about mm. was pretty much it right so like these days there's a lot of sessions but those times it was pretty much either Hobans pub on the south side or there was a session that would happen in the basement of old St. Pat's Church downtown and the North Siders and the South Siders would gather there. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And some, as time went on, they they did buy a building up on the North Side that became the Irish Heritage Center, and there are sessions there, and there were sessions there, of some of the gang from the North Side, but mostly, yeah, the South Siders went to Hobans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they gathered in houses as well. 
So there was always a nice tradition of that. Yeah. Get together just at somebody's house. Yeah. Could we ask you for another tune? You could. Please. <laughs> Um, well maybe since I, we were talking about Johnny McGreevy maybe you'd like to hear this tune there was a tune that I, I wrote one time and it was really with Johnny in mind and um, so he had a really nice swing to his fiddle playing and uh, he would he would do little swoops in it where mm-hmm. it'd just be going You know, and little swoops. So uh, I did want to do a tune for him. And um, so that tune ended up being called uh, That's Right Too, and it's a real. Uh, so he was a really nice guy. Always was saying nice things to people. And, you know, he, he, if anybody said anything, uh, my story, and it's, and it's true, uh, he would always go, that's right. And then if anybody interjected anything else, then he would go, oh, that's that's right, too. And so I loved that about him and um, and ended up calling the tune this. And there is a tune that goes after it. Do you want to hear the other yeah, one as well? Yeah, lovely, yeah. Yeah. The other one I did for my brother, Tom, who, who does acting. He would hate me saying that. He goes, Liz, I act. <laughs> he acts and he doesn't do yeah. acting. But, and that one's just called the leading role. Here we go.
I have to ask a question about that second one. <laughs> did you see my foot I go did, up there? Did you see my foot? I was that thinking, was for you. I was like, are we ending the tune? Are we in a jam? What's... <laughs> And that actually ties into Oh, I forgot the, that's an American thing too, to just go word switching. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. And I, I, I play old time music and that would be <laughs> like, this is the last time ran and we're finishing. Sorry about that. No, that no, was it, that was me like doing something with my I, foot. And that, not getting it straight <laughs> away. Just to bother thinking, you. <laughs> <laughs> with that last tune, that to me sounded, speaking of old time, it sounded quite in that. It's uh, in that pocket, isn't it? What? what what would I you say about well, it? Well, I, I, I really love old time and I really, really love that groove. Yeah, it's yeah. the groove. You're right. It is, yeah. yeah. And it's funny. Well, of course, this one was done when I lived in Chicago and all, but uh, I live out on a farm now. And it's funny that um, a lot of the tunes that I write these days seem to me just to be so American. You yeah. know, I mean, here I am, an Irish fiddle player, but if I'm sitting on my porch... And looking out at a cornfield, the tune I write ends yeah. up being like American style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that brings me to what I wanted to ask you about just as we kind of come to a close here, which was really about that whole notion of, um, you know, you, you talked about your mom talk, talking about going home, right? And the notion of home and you're steeped in this culture that's uh, in American terms is an immigrant culture. But of course, it's it's from your parents and like... How do you kind of know where you belong in a sense but when you're so so yeah. deep in this in yeah. this music right yeah and you're American right right I mean I used to I used to hear and kind of like hear that kind of thing early on and a boy I would really fight it you know if somebody said ah you know she's kind of American musician you know as if there was a style that was because I was trying so hard to be an Irish musician but somewhere along the way and I remember playing there's a great little festival that's held every year in Baltimore in Cork and I always remember uh, sitting and chatting with some um, fellow musicians there one time and they were going oh what are you thinking when you're playing this anymore when you're playing anymore and I bet that had to be back that had to be like 20 years ago or something but I always remember saying it out loud, <laughs> maybe for the first time that I that I I went, you know, I don't care anymore, and I was like, I'm I'm just going to play the way I want to play, and I'm really not worried about expectations anymore. I don't worry about my style. I don't worry about my tunes or anything else. I just go. I just do it the way I want to do it. And I'm just not going to worry anymore about fitting in. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So th- so I think I did maybe around then. Look, that took a long time to, to get rid of the, you know, you, you just so loved it, so loved the Irish music, and you just so wanted to fit in and be in the middle of those sessions and sound like other people and, yeah. you know, and and be accepted. and uh, And, yeah. There you go. Who cares it, now? It could, I, love well, it, I love it. I love it. It can, can be, I swear? Yeah. Just can. It can totally just be a. It it can be a. It can be a lifetime's work, sort of coming to some realization of, of being comfortable with who you are, right? In in certain yes. respects, you know. Yeah. And yeah. So yeah. I mean, I mean, I think I'm in an, an amazing position to have, have just made that decision all those years ago to, mm. to go and play. You know, it's everybody else really. They have jobs, and there there's other things, and this is on the side. Probably for a lot of the people here this week, it's 
Yeah. It's something yeah. on the side. I'm probably overthinking things to, you know, but yeah, it just it just worked out that music was what I was going to be, or Irish music was what I was going to be doing. But um, yeah, uh, there's a nice real, there's a really nice feeling of just let it go. I mean, I still really care and I want the, the tunes to sound good. And if I record something, I want it to be beautiful. Mm. And, uh, but I don't worry that much anymore about whether it is Irish. It's, it's just me and that's okay. Yeah, it mostly is Irish, you'd have to admit. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Could we squeeze in one more? Before we go, where should people go to to, to find your CDs and, and music? Right, well, and where I, you're touring? Yeah, well, I, I have a um, I have a web page uh, that's uh, www.lizcarroll.com, and of course uh, you can always go to Facebook as well. There's a Facebook page, and then it is you know my albums that they're they're kind of everywhere. So you can go to iTunes, go to Spotify. Uh, go to your Apple Music. Go to whatever you go. So it's it's streaming. It's there for downloads. It's, it's there for a physical copy, and uh, yeah, there. Go find You should them. be able to find it. Yeah. And you're in Scotland, Nick. No, you're back in. I go. You're... I go back to the states after this, just briefly, and uh, then I'm off to Scotland to Edinburgh for their uh, Scots Fiddle Festival. Scots Fiddle really Festival. Really looking forward to it. All right. Well, I think we'll be out by then. Liz, thank you so much. You've been so generous. Thank you, guys. What a you're, treat. You're, you're a great team. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Very encouraging. <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank you. you. Are we gonna, can we have a quick one last tune? Absolutely. Um, Doesn't have to be quick. Um, <laughs> play a new one uh, I, I, I'm always kind of making little new ones so this one was kind of just enjoyable and it's kind of in your hop jig world and I'm just getting kind of a well actually uh, there's another jig? way to go what's a hop jig <laughs> okay we're not going to do that to you maybe <laughs> since we were talking about Americana maybe I'll play you one of the recent tunes that's I do feel like it's yes, really please. an American you. Yeah, and you like it so uh, I don't know if this would get played by all time musicians but it's, it's definitely in this pocket
Liz Carroll. That was that was great. And you know, um, there were a few people who were staying in that little house uh, where we were recording who were <laughs> very kindly uh, tolerated us taking over their kitchen. So thanks to everybody who put up with us. Yeah. Um, I, I really love that interview too. Is in, in previous interviews, we, there's been certain things which I've been interested in and I've asked questions and, and asked for an explanation or a demonstration and I just love how Liz, being the professional she is, was able to just, well, what's the word? It's um, She knew, she could see exactly where I was going, but was willing to demonstrate even before I asked. And for me, on a personal well, she could level... Just see the, she could just see the blank look in your face. She's like, let me demonstrate. <laughs> it's good that someone can see that, see through the bluff. But it, that interview has left... A, big big mark on my education around it. it was a lot of simple things that she was able to demonstrate that I think lots of pennies dropped and I think the actually now I'm thinking back on them they're probably simple things but unless I had stopped or Liz had seen had seen the opportunity to show me some things it would have been lost on me so thank you so much Liz for that and hopefully somebody else gets the same as, as what I did and again just to remind you if you want to go along to uh, see Liz play with Kate Burke you can do that on Thursday night, the 7th of November. They're playing at the Abbotsford Convent um, in the Oratory, and you'll find links to that in the show notes. I'll also, in the show notes, uh, leave details where you can go and look out for Quasi-Triad Camp for next year, uh, a very special event. Obviously, at the moment, the, the details will be around this year's camp, but it's a good, good, good thing to bookmark, maybe follow them on Facebook and that kind of thing, so you're in the know for next year. Great stuff. And thanks again, Liz. Thank you. Good luck. Hi, my name is Rosa. Please become a subscriber to the podcast. Thank you.